welcome to KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. It's the Stanford Sports Zoo. It's Tuesday. It's the afternoon. No better time than to talk Stanford sports, college sports, national sports. We're in the middle of March. One of the best times in all of college athletics. My name is Zach Zaffron, joined by my co-host, Jacob Neidig. Jacob, as we've been talking about so much fun stuff going on, what have you been happy to see in this last week? Absolutely, Zach. Thank you for that. And another huge welcome to Akshay Gupta joining us in studio. I think definitely one of the biggest things that has been going on has to be the release of the new brackets just two short days ago. Stanford men's basketball obviously not making the tournament, but returning coach Gerard Haas and two pivotal stars coming in, but the women securing a number one seed. So lots of interesting college basketball, and that tournament on the women's side will be one to watch. And then, of course, March Madness on the men's side, always electric, nothing short of spectacular. So definitely all the basketball happening has to be the highlight of the week so far for me. Absolutely. And like you said, to your right, we have another guest. We've had a Gupta in studio before, but not this one. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest today? Yeah. Sitting to my right, the one and only Akshay Gupta. Akshay originally hailing from the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C. Akshay, what are you know your primary sports watching? What's your experience been with Stanford sports? Just give us a brief intro on kind of who you root for, what you like to do, and how you watch sports. Yeah, so as Jacob said, um, I'm from Washington, D.C., so obviously big sports fan. I'd say the biggest team I support is the Wizards, uh, being a big NBA fan, but also support the Commanders also. Um, growing up, I always was a big Stanford fan also, as my dad attended Stanford, and I'm also a Northwestern and UVA fan, but primarily have been a Stanford uh, fan since I was a kid. So. Absolutely, and you know, rooting for the DC sports franchises and Stanford. Oh, that he knows what it's like to support a losing franchise. <laughs> Akshay, what have you seen? You know, this season in the men's basketball side here at Stanford, we've touched on it a lot. Whether that's Harrison Ingram's lack of you know doing anything, Spencer Jones is shooting, or even some of the more role players who have stepped up. Thinking of Raynald. Brandon Angel, etc. But now the season has ended. What have you seen, you know, looking at the beginning to end of this season, a few things that you thought went well uh, for this team? Yeah, so as you said, um, quite a quite a roller coaster of a season, and I feel like that's been kind of a trend throughout my sports reading history from being a DC and Stanford sports fan. Um, kind of whenever they seem to have a little bit of hope. It kind of got yanked out of us, but I do have more hope for next year. And I think one of the um, some of the biggest things were the emergence of the role players, Brandon Angel, Maxime Renaud, at the end of the year, both stepping up huge. Um, and I think with our returning kind of veteran cast, I think we can definitely make some noise in the Pac-12 next year. Absolutely. Now throwing that over to you, Zach. We got the same coach. He's coming back. Oh, my God. The head honcho Haas is back at Maples Live next year. Oh, baby. First of all, you know, were you surprised at that? Do you think it's a good decision? And so early on, but what are we thinking about next year? 
Was I surprised by it? Absolutely. What do I think of that decision? I mean, we could rewind the tapes from the past 10 weeks, Jacob. I cannot believe that this happened. I mean, Stanford bringing back Jared Haas. I like the guy. I like him as a guy. You know, he has a lot to bring as a coach. I'm not saying he's a bad coach, but sometimes it just doesn't mesh. And I'm not saying that he isn't the right fit for Stanford because he is a class act. He brings what he needs to the farm. But we saw it with David Shaw, a talented coach that sometimes just needs to be in a program that needs to be shaken up. I thought it was time to move on. That being said, I really, really did like the fight they showed in the second half of the season. I really like that the players they have coming in have a bond and relationship established with Haas. So I think there is are good things to come. I was just utterly shocked by the fact that we're here. No, absolutely. And so, you know, Bernard, ultimately the person responsible for that. Zach, what do you think is the reason for the decision to fire Shaw but then keep Haas? Because I think for a lot of fans, obviously there's really a lot of similarities between their performances, especially here at the end, the the kind of class act coach that's been here for, you know, five plus years, has some winning. What is the difference and, and why is Haas being granted another year, but Shaw maybe didn't get that chance? Absolutely. I mean, you think about the heights of Stanford football. Stanford basketball has never been in that position. The drastic change going from potentially playing in a New Year's Six Bowl to or, or rather, right, the, the college football playoff, whatever it was back I don't then. Know if, I don't know if we were ever in that conversation. Rose but Ball, right? Rose, Rose Bowl, Bowl back in the day. Um, <laughs> to finishing as one of the worst Power 5 teams. Going to the men's side. I mean, we haven't been to the tournament in all seven years of Hass's tenure. So I think the expectations in a historical sense were different. The shoes were not as large to fill. I also think that there were signs of life this year. Yes, They had a terrible, terrible start to the year, but an upset win over Arizona, talented players on the court, there is potential. There's an influx of talent coming as well. The departures aren't all too bad. Depends on what Spencer Jones does, of course. On the football side, it was just flat from beginning to end. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as you touched on, the difference of expectations, a really interesting component of this. And I'm going to throw it to you now, Akshay. Coach Shaw continued on a legacy of winning in Stanford football, obviously did not meet that expectation at the end. I think you, there's a really strong case that Gerard Haas never created an expectation of winning, as Zach touched on seven years without making the NCAA tournament, and yet gets renewed for another year. When do these expectations around the men's basketball program, you know, start to get raised? Is he on a one-year lease? What are you thinking about how the expectations for other programs around the farm compare to the men's basketball team? Well, yeah, I think Jacob, I think it's clear that this has got to be the year where the basketball team shows up. Um, the expectations have not been there, and I think by showing that commitment to Jared Haas, it was clear that it was a one-year commitment. Um, I think the one thing that we have to factor in is while the expectations are not there, he has continuously brought in star talent. And with two top 30 recruits, it's hard to 
kind of uh, let him go when we when we have so much talent uh, potentially on the roster for next year. So I think if we look at it that way, that may have been one of the considerations. And I think um, potentially bringing Harrison back and some of our veteran cast too. We we have so much potential for next year, and if we can kind of merge his talent as he has the capability of doing, then there there is a possibility that we can raise these expectations. Absolutely, and so March Madness hasn't even started, but. It's never too early to start looking at next year. You've got a returning cast that is completely in flux. Is Spencer Jones coming back? Is Harrison Ingram? Who knows? But there will definitely be some returning veterans. Michael O'Connell, Issa Silva at the guard position. I'm looking at people like Brandon Angel, Maxine Reynaud in the low post, and obviously the two gyms coming in. What are some expectations for this year? Right now, on March 14th, 2023, what can we expect a year from now from this basketball team? I think we've got to expect a March Madness appearance. Um, This is the most talent we've had since my freshman year when we had Zaire Williams um, and a a largely senior supporting cast. I think there's, there's no excuses this year. And if we can't finish top four or five in the Pac-12, then it's it's time for us to go. Yeah, Zach, what about you? Jared Hass's Stanford record, 112-109. and 109. Only finished above 500 twice. And this next year, like we've said, perhaps the most talent since we had Zaire Williams. We need to finish above 500. We need to place in the top four of the Pac-12. And we need to find a way to make the NCAA tournament. Because if that doesn't happen, there are no more excuses. I would love to see them be competing with the UCLA's, the Arizona's, the USC's. I think we really could replace Oregon as that team that has that duality. Oregon, an inconsistent program. Us, you know, inconsistent in the sense that once in a blue moon we pull out a random top five upset. But I think if we can take their role, be in that upper, you know, area of the Pac-12, that that is not just the aspiration, that is the goal, that is the expectation. For next year no absolutely and so pivoting over to the women's side who will be playing here live in maples opening round called none other than our host zach zaffron live friday 4 30 p.m catch it on kzsu or if you're in the area to come on up to maples pavilion but stanford secures a number one seed some people obviously expected that throughout the year. Others, you know, namely looking at some of those Big Ten schools, Iowa, UConn, and, you know, Maryland, maybe a little bit disappointed that they weren't given the number one seed. But it's all been said and done now. The bracket is set. Kickoff is in just a few days. Why don't we go ahead and walk through this path that the women face to potentially returning to the Final Four or even beyond and you know that starts with this game on friday against the winner of sou or shu and for those of you that don't know that is sacred heart and southern two schools that many people might not have as much name recognition with zach what are you looking at in terms of this first round matchup i'm looking at a team that is going to go out there and make a statement they shouldn't care who they're facing against I don't care if it's South Carolina. I don't care if it's the local community college. Stanford needs to go out there, play their game, 
for a full 40 minutes. Get in championship shape because I've said this so many times throughout the quarter, but championship teams don't come up flat. Championship teams play to be their best selves, and their main competitor is their self, not who they're going against the court. Stanford needs to show their best version to get started off on the right foot in this tournament. Absolutely. And so, you know, peeking ahead a little bit, if they are able to win that game, they would then face off against the winner of Ole Miss and Gonzaga. Akshay, do you think either of those two teams pose a threat to the Cardinal? Or where do you think that that first real test in the NCAA tournament comes along? Yeah, so I think going off what Zach said, I think right now our biggest challenge is um, kind of bouncing back from the disappointment in the Pac-12 tournament and showing that the roster is together and is ready to kind of come together during this kind of critical moment. I think if I'm looking at the bracket, um, I don't think... I, Stanford, if they're playing at their best, can easily handle Ole Miss or Gonzaga. I think first test would probably come with Louisville or Texas. And... Um, then in the Elite Eight, potentially Iowa. Uh, I think one thing that's a little disappointing is seeing that Stanford would not uh, would play South Carolina before the final, and having to face that in the Final Four would definitely be a matchup to watch. No, absolutely. I think that that third matchup definitely one that catches my eye. If if chalk ends up happening, it would be the winner of Louisville and Texas, which Texas the four seed would pose an interesting matchup they've been missing some players throughout the year that are just now getting healthy they made a pretty deep run in the big 12 tournament so that's a team to watch and then you look at the bottom of the bracket and who do they have waiting but caitlin clark with iowa so zach where do you stand on on when these matchups go from upset alert to to true test i mean you know very much of the school of thought one game at a time i think you got to be wary of Ole Miss. Not too long ago, they took South Carolina to overtime. Just less than a month ago. That being said, they faced off again in the SEC tournament, and the Gamecocks 30-piece them. Um, shouldn't be an issue, though. Ole Miss out of the way, but Texas-Louisville. I am somewhat worried if Texas ends up on top. I do have Louisville winning, but Texas is a tough, tough matchup. Last year, they came in here in Maples Pavilion and upset the Cardinal. And it's that just tenacious defense, the play of guard Rory Harmon. They are a team I would have on upset watch. And then, of course, that matchup with Iowa. Iowa is going to be hungry because they thought they should have been the one seed, along with probably half of America. No, absolutely. And so, you know, this is a show where we never stray away from asking the tough questions and you know, someone that hasn't necessarily had any job insecurity here is Coach Tara Vanderveer, who all-time winning as coach in women's basketball history, both collegiately and internationally. She's in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, and is an absolute joy around Stanford's campus. But, you know, lately, this team really seems to get stuck in the Final Four. You know, Final Four last year, Elite Eight two years ago, Sweet 16, Final Four, Elite Eight. She only has championships in 89, 91, 
in 2020. So three rings. Is that an acceptable performance with this roster? Or when do we start to question whether she is fit to, to you know, manage the helm of Stanford women's basketball? And am I absolutely crazy to even be asking that in the first place? Hands down. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, she's untouchable. The, the team... In its worst year in quite a long time is 28-5 and five with a winning percentage of 85%. They made it to the Final Four last year, and it was a disappointment. The expectations are sky high, but obviously, when I say disappointment, it's, it's, it's a bit frustrating. But it is still a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable accomplishment. And the fact that they're a national championship contention you know, just speaks volumes to the program that she's had. Akshay, anything else to chime in there? No, I... I just think that was a ridiculous statement that should not <laughs> should not have been brought up. Okay, now I'm going to double down here. And again, I'm not oh, suggesting oh, oh, oh. that Coach Tara is not fit. But for the sake of argument, you know, women's college basketball has one of the greatest disparities from top to bottom. You look at these future first-round matchups, it's likely South Carolina is going to be winning anywhere by from 30 to 60 points. The, the talent from top to bottom is definitely so drastic. But Stanford has always been one of those top teams. But it seems like there is an issue with closing the door. Yeah, we won two years ago. But before that, it had been so long. Is there a point where the talent doesn't meet the end results? You look at last year's roster, I think Final Four, you, you can make the case that this team should has the talent to win it all. To be a runner-up. And so, yeah, Final Four meets expectations. But it, in my opinion, I think the argument that's most strong is that this team has the talent to be in the national championship every year and and never exceeds that. They only meet it or, in many cases, will fall just a few games short. I think if you're looking at a coaching change, you also have to think, who are the better options? And when you look at someone who has consistently, as Zach said, brought us 28-5 and five seasons at her worst, consistently brought us to the Final Four and consistently recruited this talent. You have to wonder, where are we going to get someone better? Who it, who would push push us over this edge and who would bring us to the championship? And I think during this time, it, it's primarily been UConn and Tennessee who has been kind of the reigning champs. And I think we're right up there with them, but I don't think we're going to... Finding another coach is the way to get over the, the hump. Yeah, and so Zach, how do we get over this hump? And again, let me make it clear. This hump is making it to the Final Four and losing <laughs> not and not winning a championship. Um, it's tough. I mean, first and foremost, Tara will be going out on her own terms. I know that. I don't know when it will be, but that's the only way I see happening. Um, the hump is tough because this is, like you said, such a talented, talented roster year in and year out consistently. And then you look at the programs across the country. Maybe they're more volatile, but just some years they have it. They just have it, especially compared to us. I think that you need your big-time players to step up. I love Haley Jones. I love Cameron Brink. They are absolutely first-team All-Americans, but they have to play like that on the biggest stage, not just against Pac-12 opponents, not just in the Pac-12 tournament, but in the NCAA tournament against the likes of Caitlin Clark, against the likes of Leah Boston. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think Haley Jones, someone that I'm really looking to in this tournament. And one final note on, you know, 
Coach Tara, the other thing with her that I think is just such a you know strength of what she does for Stanford is you look at what she does for the players off the court. She is someone that truly has the players' interest at heart. And as Akshay mentioned, you know, we jokingly about finding a coach that will win us more national championships, but finding a coach that cares as much as Tara does about her players in who they are as people is definitely rare. And I think across the farm, that's a norm. But when you look at collegiate athletics as a whole, Coach Tara is in the upper echelon of people that, you know, really care about their players both on the court but even more importantly off the court keeping up with them and how they're doing in their either athletic pursuits business pursuits or continuing on higher education absolutely so i don't know if i got your answer jacob where do you see them running into trouble this tournament yeah you know i've got to be honest i'm not feeling very confident with this team right now and the Stanford women's basketball team has been my favorite team on the farm basically year in, year out since arriving here in the fall of 2019. And even this year, maintain that. I, you know, watching Cameron Brink command the paint is, it's art, honestly. Like, how she's able to secure so many blocks and affect nearly every possession is so fun to watch. But as of late, I just am not that confident right now. And so, to me, I think I'm really looking, you know, at, at that round four matchup. I think it's possible that that Stanford will gel together and be able to beat the first two opponents with relative ease, and then you you win a close one against maybe Texas or Louisville. But the game after that, I think, is really whenever trouble could potentially arise, and so that would be against a Duke, maybe an Iowa. I think. Thinking of Caitlin Clark, Stanford's ability to guard all aspects of her game and be able to put up shots on the offensive end is a really scary thought. So I'm looking at maybe Sunday of, of the second weekend is whenever a real threat comes in because whenever you're facing off against you know the winner of the Big Ten, you, there's so many things that have to go right, and it, it really can be a toss-up, especially whenever you throw in such a talented scorer like her absolutely like we've talked about in the past the big 10 probably the conference to look out for this year i mean like you said iowa winning the tournament in remarkable fashion you have ohio state you have maryland indiana purdue these are all schools that will be on the biggest stage late in the tournament absolutely and so, I mean, the bigger question is, can anyone beat South Carolina? I mean, we've touched on it year in, year out, but or week in, week out. This team is in the middle of a dynasty, currently at minus 165 odds, according to boardroom.com. Next closest, actually tied, UConn and Stanford at plus 700. So Vegas currently giving South Carolina great odds to repeat. Is there anyone that that can you know challenge them? We'll start with you, Akshay. I'm taking Stanford at those plus 700 odds. <laughs> I th- Lock it in, liquidate the mortgage, Akshay Gupta, folks. You heard it here. <laughs> I think um, 
looking back to the November game where Stanford um, came up just short against South Carolina, that was a game where Stanford was up most of the time um, up until the fourth quarter, kind of fell short. Cameron Brink was in foul trouble, um, but played amazing nonetheless. And I think it showed we, we really can compete with them when we're playing at our best. And if not, even kind of when we are playing at our best, it can match up or even exceed uh, South Carolina. So I think we it's just a matter of Stanford being consistent and reaching that potential. Absolutely. And, you know, I think an interesting part, if Stanford were to face them, it would mean we pass through some of those tests that we've talked about. Zach, if we get to that matchup with South Carolina, if South Carolina even gets to that matchup, what are you what are you thinking in terms of of how that could potentially play out, you know? South Carolina is not invincible, but it is it's hard to defend a reason and why they would lose. I mean, yeah, their two closest games, we've mentioned them on this show, that Stanford victory in Maples Pavilion in November and then that late season SEC battle with Ole Miss, you got to catch everything has to go right. You got to catch Leah Boston on an off night. We held her to single digits in regulation the first time we faced off against her. You need the likes of Zia Cook and Ashlyn Watkins to just be off. Bria Beal, she has to be mitigated on the perimeter. And then you got to score. If we're thinking about Stanford itself, offensive stagnation has been a recurring theme, particularly in our losses. And it doesn't help that you have, I think now back-to-back National Player of the Year or Defending Player of the Year in Aaliyah Boston. Everything has to go right on both sides of the ball. Not impossible, but it's got to be flawless. Absolutely. And so, you know, thinking more broadly about March Madness, irrespective of any bracket, definitely one of the greatest sporting events in all of sports, either domestically, collegiately, internationally, what do y'all think makes March Madness so special just year in and year out? Uh, it's just got to be the fact that it, anyone can win. Nothing is out of the question. I guess on that front, I shouldn't be so you know pessimistic about someone beating South Carolina because that's the beauty of this. You have one game. You have 40 minutes to prove yourself. Even if you're a heavy, heavy favorite, it doesn't matter. In 40 minutes, your season could be done. I think one thing to add on about that is filling out a bracket, no matter how much you know about college basketball, no matter how much you know about basketball in general, it's so random. And I, if you fill it out completely randomly, I feel like you'd have just as good a shot as anyone with any knowledge. And the upsets are just what make it so fun. So I feel like as as long as you kind of enjoy enjoy this spirit and you really engage in the March Madness as a whole, it'll, you, you'll have a great time. Absolutely. I've been in more than my fair share of bracket groups where someone added in a bracket based off of an absolute random factor, you know, tallest player uh, on the team is who I'm going to go with or <laughs> shortest or, you know, if there's someone from my hometown and somehow the most wacky brackets seem to end up with the highest winning percentage. What are y'all's two philosophies whenever it comes towards picking these upsets or picking an eventual eventual national champion is there a specific statistic or side of the ball that you focus on is it a matchup are you looking at conference tournament performance what's your philosophy when it comes to determining 
who's going to be winning these games that are, are seemingly toss-ups? I mean, it obviously, they call it bracketology. It is a science. But on the women's side, there is a lot less volatility than the men's side. Last year's Final Four, you have three one-seeds and a two-seed. The year prior, you have three one-seeds and one three-seed. Upsets are not as off as common as you would think. So oftentimes I am going with, okay, who's the favorite? Does it check out? But if it's close, I'm I'm a big fan of looking at, you know, how they performed in recent weeks. Are they riding a high? Are they peaking at the right moment? Or have they been slipping up? Yeah, I think one thing that I kind of used to take into account was these kind of sleepers who finished well on conference championship or winning their conference champions and barely snuck in. Um but I think there's so much kind of variation between kind of being hot at the right time and just being the more talented team. I remember last year, um George or either last year or the year before that, Georgetown uh barely made the tournament, uh basically just winning the their eight, uh the Big East and I had them going to the Sweet 16 cuz they were coming in hot, but unfortunately just got absolutely slammed in the first round. And so I think just not having kind of one single philosophy, but kind of variation and not necessarily going with the trendy upset picks that everyone thinks are going to happen because rarely do they actually happen. Now, let me ask you, how much was DC bias in that decision? Uh, Pretty high. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I mean, certainly I think that is another element is you have to eliminate all bias, all fandom, all emotion when dealing with this. Um, Certainly... If you go around, I don't know, campus, the Bay Area, you're going to have a lot of people choosing Stanford, especially on the women's side, right? How much is that skewed? You know, how much is it Stanford is a phenomenal program, which objectively they are, but how many people just have them winning the national championship because of this proximity? Yeah, I mean, so many. Uh, Arguably, you know, anyone in this area, just pure out of loyalty, but also because it is such a sensible pick this team is so talented. And, you know, I think there there's definitely some merit to taking your fandom out of the bracket. But especially on the men's side when there are so many updates, or, excuse me, upsets, I think there's a lot of value in just going for your team. I mean, there is really a coin flip in so many of these games that you your biases, you know, are arguably make it more fun to watch and the fact that you can make so many brackets so easily whether that's on ESPN or printing out a bracket Yahoo whatever it is I think there's definitely so many reasons why people are so loyal to their teams and will just fill out those brackets because whenever you have a Cinderella story whenever you have Stanford winning it all or you have a VCU making a deep run it's so fun to be able to brag to your friends that not only is this my team, but I ride so hard for this team that I picked them above what you know the experts would have would have said. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why Jacob Nidig's brackets are busted so early <laughs> each and every year. I mean, come on, you, you Texas Longhorns fan, where's that going to take you? Uh, I am riding with one bracket on the men's side, and you guessed it, Texas oh, is man. winning it all this year. I have them beating Alabama in the national championship, so. Whenever we that happens in, in a month or so from now, I'll be making sure to 
post it on our Instagram. Speaking of which, <laughs> check it out at the Stanford Sports Zoo live on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a follow. We'll be posting updates around the sports world, giving you real-time updates on when we're in studio. Thinking about past performances of March Madness, what are some of the games or individual performances that have stood out to y'all over the years, either just pure awe or you know special teams that you liked? What are some of those memorable March Madness performances? Well, uh, immediately, you know, I think of team runs oral roberts uh oh my gosh i don't even know his name but doug eater man with the mustache you know these are the stars that are made in march i love to see it i love watching the historical pieces steph curry at davidson jimmer Fredette, just making waves people coming out of nowhere causing upsets i think of maybe florida gulf coast way back when yeah the father and son duo i believe was florida gulf coast uh the hunter coach hunter and then his son too that was definitely fun to watch mm-hmm. i think one you have to add to that is loyal chicago 100 100 percent. that has got to be one of the most memorable ones runs in recent history i think elite i'm not sure exactly how far they reached. i think it, it was, was twice eight. i think i saw them in 2017 san antonio and I think that was their second time out there. Um, you know, I wonder, is Sister Jean going to be rooting them on this year if they make it? <laughs> it this might be a bad question. How old is Sister Jean? Is Sister Jean still she's thriving? She I don't know if the team is, us, but, but she's thriving. All right. She, <laughs> just wanted to make sure. Jacob, do you see any uh, 2 verse 15 upsets happening this year? You know, I I don't know. One thing that I, I definitely remember is the Kimball Walker run that started in the conference tournament. I think he hit two game winners. One of them was in, or they might have both been in Madison Square Garden and then led UConn deep into the tournament. That, I think, is another really pivotal factor for me when looking at some of these games is do either one of these teams have a player that can just single-handedly propel their team into the next round? And when you look at some of these two seeds, you look at some of these 15 seeds, most times the two seeds are the ones that are going to have those players. But, you know, St. Peter's last year obviously gets it done, beat Kentucky, six-point victory there. I don't know if I see any this year. I think the more likely upsets are going to be your 4-13 and 13 range, your Obviously, 5-12, and 12, I don't even know if that's an upset anymore because of how many 12 seeds have won, but I think the, the I think most of the 1-2 and two seeds should be relatively secure to advance on this year. Um, Spe- speaking of 5-12 uh, seeds, I think one game that everyone's looking forward to is Oral Roberts versus Duke. Mm-hmm. Or- Oral Roberts, um, having had such a big upset as a 15 seed uh, just a couple years ago, and with returning the same... Starting point guard Max Obmas, who's averaging about 22 points per game, while Duke uh, is coming off just winning the ACC tournament. So I think that's going to be one that I'm definitely looking forward to. And while it's a trendy upset pick, I think Duke is just too talented right now to falter in the first round. Yeah, maybe a hot take here, but I have fifth-seeded Duke making it to the Final Four. I, I I would love to see a little blue blood action in that, that east section. I've got Duke-Kentucky. In the Elite Eight. 
That's a bold pick, that, Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have Providence beating Kentucky in the first wow. round. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, well there happens. you see the competing theories. Some people, you know, you see something in a team. Duke, for me, is definitely a team, I think, peaking at the exact right time. First-year coach replacing the GOAT of all time, essentially, in men's basketball, who... Uh, I've actually had the chance to meet and get his autograph. Holy. Seventh grade basketball camp. Yeah, I was recruited. But they're peaking at the right time, winning the tournament. And this is a team that gets it done, averaging over 10 offensive boards a game. You know, they don't shoot the ball particularly well, relatively average on that. But I think this team is playing together. And for me, you know, this 5-12 seed game definitely feels way more like an even matchup but I also have Duke making it relatively far I have them losing to Memphis in the sweet 16 Memphis mark it down folks the Tigers are ready this year this is the year of the Memphis Tigers I got them going all the way to the final four this year lock it in while you still can the eight seed wow sleeper pick there's there's some things brewing over in Memphis Tennessee right now and I don't know. I don't know that Houston. That win against Houston saw a lot of good things, and you know, lost by Al- against Alabama. This is a team that loves to run the floor. They are so good in transition on the break. I think that that style of play with who their opponents could be really matches up well, and is a team I think could definitely make some damage later on. Totally fair. If you're tuning in live, feel free to chime in. On the conversation, you can call in at 855-723-9010. We'd love to hear your takes because it's March. It's madness. There's a whole lot to discuss, including Jacob's number eight seed Memphis in the final four. What are your other biggest upsets? Uh, I mean, that is a, I shouldn't be speaking and talking about crazy, but I, I mean, that is remarkable. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I wasn't courageous enough to pick, but I think Arizona is a really interesting team right now because this is a team I think could come together and arguably make it a run at the championship. But as we've seen when they visited Maples, has the potential to be beaten by a team that's much less talented. They've got Princeton in the first round who you know just won their tournament. I think... A game against Missouri or Utah State could be another week. So Arizona, a team that I'm definitely keeping my eye on in terms of the upset, especially given you know that we've literally watched them fall apart here live on Stanford's campus. I actually have the Wildcats in the national championship. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I, that is what I'm most scared about because I think that they are a really strong team, but... They will allow weak teams to compete with them like they did with the Stanford Cardinal. I do think that they're in the clear until the Sweet 16, but when I imagine they face off against number 3 Baylor, that is a matchup that I am really worried about. But Wildcats in the final, you heard it here first. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly why March Madness is (laughs) so fun because, you know, everyone has a take, and really anyone's take can be backed up with, you know, a single player or what they've done, or really just that feeling, that intuition you get. Actually, throwing it to you, who are you looking at that could make a run that 
people might not necessarily expect? Um, I think I think one uh, upset that I have in the first round, which is why I was asking about, about two versus fifteen, Marquette looking like one of the weakest two seeds in the field, uh, playing in the Big East, and although they won the conference championship, I I just don't know if they have the talent to actually. Um, make a run and so I actually have them losing to Vermont Um, I think other sleepers to go potentially further include UConn and while they're a four seed they're a well-rounded team with uh, both top offense and top defense in the league Um, I think personal personal bias I also have Northwestern making a Sweet 16 run with UCLA losing Jalen Clark uh, one of their top scorers and the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. I don't know if they can recover from that going forwards. Yeah, I mean, Marquette, though, interesting pick. Tyler Collect, the 6'3", 190-pound guard, second-team All-American, Big East Conference Tournament Player of the Year, Big East Player of the Year. To me, he's the epitome of a player that puts the team on his back and could spark a run. I think he led the entire conference in assists, he averaged around 13 points per game. I don't know. That's a, that's a team that I came in really high on, thought could make a deep run because you have that player that, that has that X factor and has shown it both in the regular season and in the postseason. Definitely we'll be watching that a little bit closer now that you've you've thrown that out. Yeah, I'll definitely be watching that uh, USC Marquette matchup when uh, Marquette loses in the round of 32 to <laughs> USC's real star of March. I think Boogie Ellis is a guy that is going to be one of those players who really you know comes out. A San Diego native has been on a tear in recent games, um, and I think he's the kind of guy that could pioneer a 10 to two upset in that second round. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, how can you not root for someone named Boogie Ellis? What a name that is. But yeah, I mean, we've seen it here. He is someone that scored, dropped 33 against Stanford in in one of their matchups, and the most recent one. And in the matchup before that, also had a relatively strong performance. Our statistician is struggling to find that. We'll get back to you on how he did that game, but... Yeah, Boogie Ellis, peaking at the right time, player to keep your eye on. I mean, Boogie Ellis in the last seven games, 22 points, 33 points, 21 points, 16 points, 35, 28, and 15. I, this is a guy I'm going to have my eye on. Absolutely. And so, you know, it sounds like y'all have had some preliminary bracketology swirling around in your brains. Obviously, Brackets don't go final until the first matchups on Thursday. Who are, is either the team or a couple of teams that you think are actual contenders for the national championship? Yeah, so I think uh, the first team has got to be Alabama. They're the one seed in the overall tournament. And um, despite recent controversies, Brandon Miller has been absolutely phenomenal. Um I think other teams that to look at, let's see, I would I would not call Texas a contender despite uh, <laughs> the strongly Jacob's disagree. Bracket picks. I think Houston is actually in the in the six twenty window um, is who actually who I have winning my tournament, and Houston. they're 
their combination of both offensive and defensive star power uh, with Marcus Sasser leading the way um, makes them a real contender to win it all. I love upsets, probably to a fault, because both Alabama and Houston, number one seeds, I do not have making to the Elite Eight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that Virginia is just a program that really has that, (laughs) as Jacob is rolling his eyes. We've got a Virginia local in here who I (laughs) chirp endlessly about the Virginia basketball team. Not even a fan, but cannot stand the style of basketball that they play. All I'm saying is UVA is the type of program that could be, you know, an Alabama defeater. On the other side, I'm not big on Houston. They're upset in, I believe it was the American tournament, not a good sign of things to come. I think Indiana has been really strong as of late, so I have them knocking them out. And, you know, at least... Give me some credit here, Jacob, because Texas to the Final Four, baby. I love it. Texas to the Final Four. I love that. Inject that straight into my veins, Zachary. Uh, Love that. You know, they're still a pretender. I'd I'd be lying (laughs) if I I think that they just get a lucky break um, with kind of their – I got them obviously beating Colgate, but then, you know, I don't think A&M or Penn State are that big of a threat. So I think they cruised to the Sweet 16 where Xavier – not big on the Big East teams. I think they advance there. And, of course, the test would be Houston. But I don't think Houston's all that. So Texas, the beneficiary of an easy bracket. But in terms of contenders, I think it's got we got to take a long, hard look at Kansas. What they've been doing returning to their blue blood roots is remarkable. And I think that a repeat may be in the cards. You know, that's interesting. Do you know who beat them in the Big 12 tournament, Zach? I do. You know who beat them not too long before that, Jacob? I I think it might have been the uh, Texas Longhorns, actually. (laughs) No, Kansas definitely a team that has so much talent, has a head coach that knows how to win at the right times in the biggest moments. Definitely a team, you know, that that comes in with a well well-versed roster and, you know, could definitely piece together uh, a win. Their team, I think, because of their recent struggles, have even, as a one-seed, somewhat fallen under the radar in many people's brackets. So don't forget about the Jayhawks, folks. Jalen Wilson just got named All-American first team today. They've got a couple other guards, some guys down in the post. This team... This team is talented, and there's a reason why they're the number one seed. You know, kind of pivoting away from basketball now to a team that, you know, in my opinion, just never gets enough coverage. How about the Stanford softball program? 22-2. and They're on a 20-game win streak. And get this, their loss came against their two losses, one of them against the number one team ranked Oklahoma, a South Carolina-esque program, and the other against a top 25 ranked Duke. The softball team is on an absolute tear getting ready to start Pac-12 play atop the standings. What are you looking at this team in terms of, you know, why they're not getting so much coverage both locally and nationally, and what can we expect as they head into conference play, Zach? Well, softball is a you know a tough sport. You you hope that it kind of cracks uh, and breaks the barrier down in the media and, and gets the respect it deserves. 
Um, Pac-12 Network has done a great job of you know expanding their coverage of the sport. Um, and it's exciting to be a softball fan. I mean, it's fast-paced, quick action, multiple, I think 60-plus games in a season. But a large part of the Stanford success has got to be the bullpen. I mean, Alana Vader was remarkable throughout the entirety of last season. And now they add Najari Kennedy, the freshman, to the bullpen. That is going to spearhead their championship efforts this year. Kennedy already two Pac-12 Pitcher of the Week awards. We're only four weeks into the Pac-12 season. No, that is absolutely ridiculous. Stanford recently in the climbed up to number seven in the poll. They've been ranked in the top ten for a couple weeks now, but really came in with a wide range of expectations. They upset Alabama and win the regional last year, fall in the Supers, but this team still did not get a lot of respect in the preseason. Akshay, what do you think has to happen in the locker room, in the offseason, among the players and the coaching staff to kind of come together and decide we're not going to listen to what people think we should do. We're going to define our own season, and they really have done just that so far. Um, are you Sorry, could you... Uh, re- yeah, no, absolutely. I mean... What have you seen so far from this team that kind of speaks to their ability to ignore what other people have said and just go out there, game in, game out, and perform no matter who they're playing or where they're playing? Yeah, I think the ability to just continuously put in the put in the work despite kind of uh, attention from Stanford fans and outsiders is really is really key for this team. And the fact that they have continued to be consistent and show up each and every day is why they have been so successful this season. Absolutely. Zach, what would you like to to add on to that analysis? Well, I'm just thinking about their counterpart on the baseball diamond. The Stanford team is 10-5 and five and has shown a lot of signs of a team that will be returning to Omaha, but at the same time, signs of a team that hasn't quite meshed two straight losses losing the series to USC lost seven to ten and then lost one to four on Saturday and Sunday respectively and also you know dealing with losses to Santa Clara Cal State Fullerton Cal obviously you can't afford these wins in the postseason um, and I'm just thinking of those expectations I, I'd throw the question to you how much do you look into these early season games? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I would highlight between these two programs is that baseball has seven less games than softball. And I think this softball team is returning a lot more in different places. You've got less veteran leadership on the softball team, but arguably you have it in a little bit more important places, namely, as you touched on, the bullpen which I think has really been one of the biggest parts of the the puzzle for the Stanford baseball team that we have not been able to piece together. Whether that's certain relievers, you know, coming in and being unable to get a single out, whether that's starters or middle relievers going well below the number of innings they should be, 
the pitching staff is one that has not performed this year. And that was, in my opinion, the biggest question of the year. It had to be the starting pitching. You had so many returning fielders and batters. You had a bullpen that felt like it had an eighth-inning guy in Brett Panzer. You had the ninth-inning guy in Ryan Bruno, who was going to be the starters. And yet, 15 games into the year, we don't have a starting rotation. We don't have middle relievers that we can rely on. We don't even have a closer that we know will come in and be able to get three outs. And so I look at these two teams, and pitching is definitely the point that I think they've really uh, been the most different from each other. And I think that's why you look at such different results so far in the season for these two teams. Totally, totally fair. Akshay, have you been able to watch any Stanford baseball this year? Uh, a couple games, yes. And, you know, it is just so fun now as the weather's getting better, the nights are, you know, being lighter. There's a whole long season ahead. I encourage all of you to get out and watch your Stanford Cardinal on the Sunken Diamond. They've got a slate of games this weekend in their series against Oregon State, starting off with Friday, 7 p.m., our very own Connor and Justin on KZSU. Taking a look around the farm, otherwise, another sport that really demands our attention has got to be fencing. Coming away as the MPSF champs, quite remarkable considering a lot of the challenges they have faced with roster spots, scholarship spots, people, you know, dropping in and out. Um, truly, truly a sight to see another sport, women's lacrosse, number 18 in the country. No, absolutely. And, you know, fencing is a program here at Stanford that really flies under the radar. And you look at some of the people that have come in, namely the person that got the winning touch to give the Cardinal the national championship, freshman Sanjay Kasi, who is someone that has put in so much work coming across the country as a foiler, as a freshman, and yet is ranked both in the collegiate fencing world and in the junior men's foil. This team has come together around such an unlikely person, someone with such little college experience, and yet they find a way to get it done. They beat Air Force in the final. Joy Young, Dogwan Park each have foils in the final weapon. Two of our people in the final match were freshmen, which just speaks to the way this fencing team has found countless people to step in throughout the season amidst such little national coverage and such little respect here on campus. Another team we talked about at the very beginning of the show, but the Stanford women's water polo team, number one in the country, 14-0 and to start the year. I mean, they've won the Cal Cup. They've won the Stanford Invitational. They've won the Aggie Invite. They've won the Barbara Calbus Invitational. What can't this team do? Ranked wins over Indiana, USC, California, and Long Beach State in back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back games. 
They won the national championship last year. Is that something that is bound to happen again this year? I mean, this is a team that is so talented. The group of seniors that are currently leading this team, so talented. The expectation has to be repeat. I mean, this is a team that has played in every water polo national championship before last year they hadn't won it since 2019 but already off to a blistering pace this is another classic Stanford example where the talent is all there the coaching is all there it's going to come down to whether this team can play their best in the most important moments and right now obviously at 14 to 0 they've done that but whenever the NCAA championships roll around in early May that is the moment where we will see whether it all comes together. Love what they're doing in the water, though. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Sports Zoo live from KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM, streaming live in California, across the nation, all over the world on kzsu.stanford.edu and available on your favorite podcast platform. My name is Zach Zafrin. It's been a pleasure joining my co-host, Jacob Nydig, and our guest, Akshay Gupta. Until next time, wear red, stay late, go card.